Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Welcome to Grace Point and welcome to winter. Everybody excited about its winter? No, yay, I am. You get a whole new wardrobe of clothes. You kind of get to move the, the summers to the back and the winters to the front and you're flanneling it and you're, uh, and you're sweatshirting it and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of like, even though it may be the same thing you've been wearing for years, um, at least it comes back around and it's kind of a, an awesome thing. It gives you choices, I guess. And I want to talk about choices and decisions that we make uh, in our day-to-day life. And we make a lot of choices. It's estimated that you make about 35,000 choices a day. Now, if you're sleeping for seven of those, do the math. That's about 2,000 choices an hour. That's a choice every two seconds. That's a lot of choices. And when you think about the choices that you have out there, just think about when I, when I was growing up, the choice for ice cream at the maximum number of ice creams was 31 from Baskin Robbins. That's all there was, but there was a lot. And I remember as a kid, I think that's a lot of ice cream to choose from. But what do you have now? You have Cold Stone, and you can go and make it however you want. And I Googled as many ways as I could to figure out how many combinations you can make Cold Stone, and I couldn't find it. So if you find it, let me know. I'd love to know how many ways you can make Cold Stone ice cream. But Starbucks coffee, I grew up in the day when it was Folgers, Maxwell House, and you want it with cream or without cream, lump of sugar or no sugar. You remember those days? That was all there was. And now you have Starbucks, hundred and they boast on their website 170,000 ways you can make coffee. How many years, and drinking a Starbucks coffee every day, trivia question here, I'm not going to do the math, how many days, years would it take you to drink all the options, but every time you drive up to a window, you got options. We have so many options in our life, decisions that we make, and again, coffee or Cold Stone is not the most earth-shattering decision that you might make today, whether you go right out of your subdivision or left out of your subdivision, it's not going to be the biggest decision you're going to make that day, but we do make a lot of decisions. Some of those decisions the choices that we make are near. They're kind of just, they're kind of close. Okay. It's just me. What am I going to wear today? Really doesn't affect you. It's a, it's a nearby decision that I make where I'm going to turn right or left out of my subdivision. Uh, that's, that's a kind of a near decision. If I don't show up to work, it begins to become a kind of a wider decision. Okay. If I go right and let work is left, then I'm going to take a long time to get there. So you get wider decisions when you start encompassing other people. And, and we make a lot of, again, near decisions every day, and most of those, probably 35,000 decisions, are decisions that we make uh, for the near. But then there's the wide, but then there's also the deep decisions. Those deep decisions go down to a root system, go down to our hard drive, they are operating system decisions, and that they will then trickle up and make and impact the other decisions of our life. There's soul and spirit decisions that will spill out of the heart a man speaketh, out of the heart the person is, the Bible says. And so those heart level decisions will impact the rest of your life and the rest of the decisions that you make. Also, because of that, because of what's going on in the deeper level of the decisions and the choices that we make, because of that, it begins to write a narrative in our head, begins to tell us a story. In fact, the story that we tell ourselves 
will be an impact, will be an influencer on the decisions that we make. Hang on to that. The stories that we tell ourselves, the voices in our heads begin to impact the choices that we make. Statement came to me this week, we need to listen less to our minds and hearts and we need to speak more. We need to determine what our minds are thinking and not just listen to our voices in our head. Novelist Paul Kingsnorth said it like this, all day, every day we use narrative stories to try to make sense of the ongoing confusion of reality, of the business of being human. It's a pretty deep statement. All day, every day, we've got a story going on in our head. We've got a narrative going on in our life, and we're trying to make sense of life. And again, those heart-level things that are coming up will then shape the narrative that we live out the choices that we make. In this great study through the book of Ephesians that we are going to be wrapping up for through chapter 5 next Sunday, and next Sunday, Lori will be joining me on the stage. We're going to be talking about the end of chapter 5 where it talks about marriage, okay? We've been talking about all through and how it impacts our lives, so Lori and I will be co-teaching next week, looking forward to that. But if you remember, our identity is established in, a, in Ephesians chapter 1. I mean, he really does. Chapter 1, 2, and 3, he really speaks to our identity of who we are. And half the book is about who we are and who I am is I am blessed and I am chosen and I'm loved and I'm accepted and I'm adopted and I'm freed and I'm forgiven and I am enlightened. And that's all in chapter 1. And that identity, my identity, should determine how a lot of the narrative of my soul and my mind and the choices that I make. The who I am should determine what I do. Okay, there's a lot of confusion, dysphoria, other things about identities today. Well, let's, let's, let's embrace the beauty of what Jesus does and says about us and let that become the narrative of the story of our life. If you have to get up every morning and you have to say that to yourself, putting your feet on the ground, I am blessed today, I'm chosen today, I'm loved today, I'm freed today, whatever you need to say, say it to yourself. In fact, I want us to say it right now out loud to ourselves. Ready? Let's say it all together. I am blessed, I am chosen, I am loved, I'm adopted, I'm freed, I'm forgiven, and I'm enlightened. And that's what Paul prayed, is that you would be enlightened. So that's the first three chapters of God just working in us. But we've also noticed the impact. The impact is that God works on us as well. And we've been talking about that for several weeks. We've been talking about that in the sense that the choices and the decisions that we make every day, that God is shaping, hopefully shaping our thought processes in those decisions of our life. And he is working on us. And so turn to the person next to you and say, you are a work in progress. Tell them right now. And thank God for that. Okay? You are a work in progress. Thank God for that. And thank God that he is still working on you. All right? We read earlier, let's want us to read it again. Thank you, Shalom, for reading both in your language and in English and just bringing us back to the reality that God's kingdom spreads throughout the world. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk. Be imitators and walk. 
Walk in what? Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice. We see both emotion and volition in this, that I'm going to willfully make choices today that will determine the walk, the step of my life. But I'm also going to do it from a, an emotional point of view that it is based on a love relationship that I have with Jesus. And we have calling us to look like him, to walk like him, to listen like him, to lead like him, to love like him. He's calling us to follow him. The invitation from Jesus was never come be a Christian. Challenge you, find that. He never asked us to be Christians. He asked us to be followers. There's a big impact in that. The reality is that we every day should look, listen, uh, 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 lead, and love a little bit more like Jesus every day. Because what are we doing? We're imitating him. We're becoming like him. We're looking, listening, leading, loving more and more like him. He calls us to be followers, to be as he is, to do as he does. That is what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to be a Christian. Christian is not a a tag. It's not a choice. It's not just simply, uh, I'm going to check that on a box or I grew up in a Christian home. 21 times in Scripture, in the New Testament, Jesus, in the Gospels, Jesus calls people to follow me. Think about that. Not zero times does he call them to be Christians, to be as he is, to do as he does. A part of that is he's going to give us different things he's going to call us to. One of those is, think about it like this, he, he is the light of the world. That's what the Scripture says in John chapter 9, verse 5. As long as I'm in the world, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Now, that's beautiful. Jesus is the light of the world as long as he is here. But what happens when he goes? Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 and 16. You are the light of the world. Wait, I thought you were the light of the world. No, no, no. Now, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men for others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God the Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is the light of the world as long as he's here. And once he's gone, then we become the light of the world. We become that imitators of him just like he's called us to be his light. Now, again, the light metaphor is a very common metaphor today. You'll, you'll find people talk about, oh, be the light and all that kind of stuff. In fact, Zen Buddhism of our day uh, will literally encourage you, if you can't find the light, to be the light. Uh, or the light in you, the light in me greets the light in you. Namaste. It's a, it's a Zen Buddhism of our culture today that says that you have light in you, that you are, you have this God being inside of you, that you are God yourself. The problem with that is that's not the biblical form of light. The light that he is, is our light. We are a reflection of him. We radiate him. Think about the moon. The moon was beautiful this week if you got out and enjoyed it. It was full. It was bright. It was, it was this vibrant color. And it was one time I came over a hill of a, a, a curve and it was literally what was at the end of the road was this bright moon. That moon has zero light. The only light that moon has is the light that comes from the sun as it reflects that light. 
The only light we have is the reflection of Jesus onto our life as we imitate him. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that in Ephesians 5, verse 14, it's the gospel in one verse. Here's the gospel. Here's everything in the Bible in one verse. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ shall shine on you. Awake, come back to life, come back to life. Let me give life into your life. Let me breathe life into your life. Let me give you life. And when he does, what does he do? Christ will shine on you. And when Christ shines on you, he will shine through you as you imitate him and you walk with him. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. We just read the challenge of verse of chapter 5, verse 1. Now let's go down to verse Verse 7 and following. It says, Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness. Now you are light. Now you'll notice that five different times in a matter of seven verses will he use the word light. It's definitely the theme of the day. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk, make choices, make decisions. Those 35,000 big and little decisions that we make in a day, those are the compilation of our walk, how we will live out our days. Walk, walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light, now he's going to give us the fruit, the evidence, the markings of light. Just like in chapter uh, Galatians chapter 5, he gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Now he's going to give us the fruit of light. Is found in what is good and what is right and what is true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Again, compare and contrasting darkness and light. But instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. For when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, for Christ shall shine on you. Be as Jesus is and do as Jesus does. That's what it means to imitate him. Be as he is, do as he does to follow him. That's what it calling is upon our life. And when you look at that, it means that we are going to walk in light, that we are going to choose light, that we are going to go towards the light. And so I want us to today, when we think about, again, this phrase, this unique phrase of the fruit of light, what does the fruit of light look like? in us as we are making these decisions. Uh, I want to call them four filters, if you will, to every decision that you make. Is it good? Is it right? Is it true? And is it pleasing? Is it good? Is it right? Is it true? Or is it pleasing? Number one filter is, is it generously good? Okay? There's a lot of ways you can use the word good. Okay, the Razorbacks played good yesterday. Or LSU played bad, I don't know. But that's an evaluation of something. Uh, there is um, the, uh, the assessment or the emotion of good. Uh, Joey Tribbiani, uh, you know, how, how are you doing? And uh, how are you doing? You know, you can, you, can, you can ask somebody how they're doing. 
Um, then there's the action. This word here is action. It's not just how you're feeling, how you're doing, how is the game. That, that's, that's a different form of good. This is a good. And the thing I love about the Greek language, and it's also complex about the Greek language, is the Greek language is so dense in one word, we can't have one English word that will match in comparison to the word, to one of Greek word, okay? If that's how incredible that language is. I'm so glad God chose to speak the New Testament into the Greek language. But a part of that is that you have to use multiple words to communicate one word. And this is not just good. This is generously good. This is doing the good. And it's not just, when you think about generosity though, when you think about living the life of an imitator of Jesus, you can't help but think, well, how did Jesus live generously? My friends, he came from a generous father who the father said, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Generosity marks our father. Good generosity marks him. He is a good and giving father. Whenever you think about uh, the life that Jesus lived, Jesus was a generously good giver of life. Whenever he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. It's literally how he came and lived out his life. So when I talk about when to be like Jesus, I want to be generously good with my life. I, when Jesus' death, well, it was a generous gift of himself. It wasn't taken from him. No one takes me, but I lay down my own life according to my own, my own desire to lay it down. What does your generosity look like? What what does generosity and goodness look like inside of you? Because one of the fruits of light is good. Generously good as I live out my life. Paul would look at his churches and he would look at his churches and measure how healthy the church is based on its goodness and its generosity. This is what he says in Romans chapter 15, verse 14. He says, I myself am satisfied about you. I'm satisfied about you. Okay, I want to lean in on that. I want Paul to look at Grace Point and go, I'm satisfied about about Grace Point. I'm satisfied about Mike McDaniel, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. And again, this is not just your good in character. There's a place for that. We'll get there in a moment. But this is goodness of your life, generosity of your life. You're not just looking out for self. You are looking out for whom may I bless How can I be a blessing? This is why Jesus talked about the way our treasure is, our heart is. Because he knows about generosity and that when we're generous, that we're looking like Jesus. We're looking, listening, leading, and loving like Jesus loves. How's your generosity? How's your good generosity? Listen, when God, here's a life principle for you. When God is talking about generosity, when he is speaking that out, His generosity is not about raising money. It's about raising disciples. People who will look like him. People who will smell like him, act like him, exude his his lifestyle. And if your standard of living is keeping and impacting your standard of giving, you need to maybe consider reversing those to where your standard of giving is impacting your standard of living. The generosity of Jesus 
He models it. The generosity of our fathers sending his son is how we should live our lives. Lori and I, because of the families that we grew up in, modeled this so well for us that when we were newly married and I was driving a school bus, stocking shelves at Walmart, she was a full-time student. We had all the financial aid that we could possibly get because we were that poor, living in a hut apartment. Mike and Lori were still at that point giving minimum of 10% to our church. And I can tell you this, 21 years later, living in the house that we live in, you go from a hut house to a house in a subdivision. You know what? Mike and Lori McDaniel are still faithful to that. And I only say that not to blow smoke my way or pop my pump myself up. But listen, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm not doing. Jesus is not going to ask us to do anything that he's not doing. And he is a generous good. He is generously good. I, I, I'll show you this past week, uh, Lori has, has a little part-time job and, and, and her, her check came in and literally I was on the Arvest app. I saw the amount. I want to show you how fast that this can happen. So I was on the Arvest app. Oh, I saw the amount. I immediately closed the app. I went over to the Grace Point app. I scrolled down to the bottom of that. I went in and plugged in the number and hit send. And within 32 seconds, 32 seconds, I say this just to say that generosity is a choice. Good generosity is the way of Jesus and we're called to be imitators of Jesus. This is not about giving. It's not about raising money. It's about raising disciples. Here's the light question. I want every one of these to have a light question for us to ask. Does my generosity to God appropriately reflect God's generosity to me? Number two, is it holistically right? Okay, is it holistically right? When I look at this, the fruit of the light is good and right. There is a good and right. There is a right and a wrong and a holistic alignment around him. It's not just my, my talk talks and my, my walk walks. It's like my talk and my walk, they line up. Somebody said it like this, that integrity is whenever the tongue in your mouth and the tongue in your shoe are going in the same direction. It's a pretty good definition. It's interesting whenever you think about our lives and do they line up? Is there alignment? Is there a holistic alignment? Does everything about us point to one central narrative that I am an imitator of Jesus, that I am as Jesus is, that I am letting Jesus come out of me? Is that, is that true of me? Is my life lined up? If you took your 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 cookies and your and your if you're on the screen if we posted up everything that you've been Google searching would it line up with your faith the life that you've been living does it line up holistically the the pandemic has Im- impacted us in incredible ways and now we're some time removed from it and we're seeing the impact on education I read a report this past week that. S- that potentially over the, the loss in education and to get our students back to the standard, it may cost up to $700 billion, that's with a B, dollars to get us back to where we were because of the lost two years of education. The impact that has happened on jobs, 83% of the Americans' workforce worked from home, according to Pew Research, during some time. These next numbers, listen to this, these are self-confessed numbers. 
People who work from home said six in 10 of them self-confessed that they're less productive at home. 57% of those working at home admitted to binging watching TV during work hours. 57%. 62% remote workers were usually distracted from their work spending time on social media platforms and a third of them were playing games and Wordle and Minecraft is a game. Now, listen, if you have a job that doesn't mind you binge-watching Tiger King, then, uh, then go for it. you got a good job, I guess. And it'll pay the bills. But the reality is that I'm supposed to be here, but my life is here. There's not holistic alignment. Is it right? Is it right? And if you can turn off the video screen to keep yourself from being seen, what you're really doing on the Zoom call, there's a Maybe a problem with integrity. Integrity is what you are when no one's looking. What are you, what are you when no one, when the video screen is turned off and you're in the privacy of your own soul? Scientists believe that we're walking around, most people are walking around with 13 secrets in their life, five of which they've never told anyone. Why am I talking about working from home, Mike? You're meddling now. Look at verse 7. It's not going to talk about working from home, but it's going to talk about what we're aligning with. How are we holistically doing the right thing? And he talks about in verse 7, he says, Therefore, do not be partners with them at one time of darkness. Don't be, don't be a part of the, the, the generation that turns off the screen because I don't want to be seen in, in what I'm really doing behind the scenes Verse 11, it says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. So again, he's going to this contrasting of darkness and light. But instead, expose them. Bring light to them in the conducts of our life. Verse 12 and 14. 12 to 14, it goes on to say, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that we do in secret. But anything that is exposed by the light becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Is there any part of your life that if it were exposed today, you know it's not right? It's done in secret. There's a sobering verse from the lips of Jesus when he said, all that is in secret will eventually be brought into the open. And everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. Nothing in all creation, Hebrews says, is hidden from God's face. Everything will be open and laid bare before the one to whom we must give an account. I point to this, that we are a fragmented society living dual lives, dual stories. We need to have alignment. We need to not have where we are living a different story, a different, a different tale Paul, uh, David prayed that give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Here's a question for you. What secret in me needs to be exposed? You're making decisions. Make decisions that if they were on the public screen, they'd be okay. Number three, is it timelessly true? Again, we talked about generously good. 
The decision I'm making, is it freeing me up to be generously good or am I making it more about me? Am I making decisions that are, that are holistically right, every part of me, body, mind, soul, spirit, all in alignment with God? I don't have a divided heart. Number three is, is it timelessly true? Now, this is a really, this is the day in which we live, that we even have to talk about timelessly true. We live in a day where truth is slippery and God says truth is solid. Matthew 7 says you can build your life on his truth. The storms will not knock you over. We live in a day where truth is subjective and God's truth is objective. Yeah, it's hard sometimes to get in there and find, but it's a part of the relationship where we pursue him and he makes known to us. It's not my truth and your truth. That'll make me throw up my mouth faster than anything. Today's truth is changes with time? No, no. God's truth is set in time. His truth is, the fruit of the light is not only what is true, what is good and right, but it is what is true. The Ephesians were living this horrible sexual narrative. Just to, just to be very frank, just much like we live today in our, in our world and relationships. And that's the context of where we're really talking about. We talked about not being partners with darkness and used to be there and secrets out there. And he's really talking, if you go back to verse 3 and all the way through, you'll find that he's talking about a sexual immorality that was going on in that day. It says in verse 3, he says, Let the, but the sexual immorality, this is right after he called us to be imitators of God. Then he says, but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetedness must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. He says it again a few verses later, that there, there, there's, there's something that is right and true. And in fact, these three words of the fruit of light is, is, is good and it is right and it is true. These are not just random words that Paul just kind of picks and puts in there. Throughout the Jewish and Christian literature of antiquity, frequently these are referred to as the character of God. Remember? Very first words, be imitators of God. So we make our choices every day and we say, is this right? Is this good? Is this freeing me up to be generous? Is this right, holistically right? I can align my whole life around. Is this truth, God's truth, not just the world's truth? Am I, am I willing to do that? Am I willing to align myself behind the truth of who Jesus says he is? I am the way, the truth. And the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me and my friends. If you want to know and have the character of God, you will not have the character of God outside of a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is where it begins. And then I can become an imitator. My identity is changed. My actions in life are changed. What, who, who I am be, begins to change, and what I do begins to change. So here's a question of light Whose truth am I living? Whose truth am I living? The last filter. When I'm making decisions each day, is it right? Is it good? Is it true? The third, the fourth one, is it divinely pleasing? Would God smile at this? Knowing the character of God, would God look at the decision I'm making and would he say, this is right, this is good. Hey, Mike, this is the business world. We've got to make hard decisions. We've got to cut throats. We've got, we got to make decisions that maybe are a little unethical. Okay, then I'm compromising what is right and what is good and what is true. I say find a new job. 
And is it pleasing? Is it pleasing to our Father? We live in a day where we don't, we don't ask that. In fact, He'll warn us in chapter 6, and we'll be in chapter 6 in the new year when we do a spiritual warfare study. Um, he says this, not, not, by the way, uh, not by the way of eye service that we should live our life, or as people pleasers. We're not called to be people pleasers. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10 says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. This is shifting. The focus of my life is I'm not about pleasing people and being an influencer and everyone liking me and agreeing with me. Now I'm actually saying, God, is this pleasing to you? Is this what you want from me? Philippians chapter 2, verse 23 says this, that for God is working in us. Remember what I say in the beginning? He's working in us. He's working on us. He's working in us, working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what is pleasing to him. See, the will of God is not this, oh, I'm going to grin and bear it. No, it's when God begins to change me from the inside out, aligning me with what is true and right and good. And then I want to do what is pleasing. I will want to do. I'll align myself with God and do what you want to do, my friends, but align yourself with God first. Do what is pleasing. So what is your, here's your question for you. What is your next step of obedience? What is your next step? When you look at this world and the way we live our lives, so much of our life we live with aims, aspirations, ambitions, achievements, assessments. That's, that's how... You know, we have goals. We set goals. We want to live for. We have aims, aspirations. I want to achieve this by uh, five, next five years. I want to be this by fifty. I want to be a millionaire. You know, some point in my life or whatever. We have aspirations and we have ambitions and we have achievements. So I, I, I've gotten here. I've arrived. I've gotten the promotion that I that I was wanting. I got into the college I wanted to go to. Achievements, awards, assessments. I got the grade. On the test that I wanted to get, I got, I, got, I, got, I got the performance evaluation that I wanted to get. We live for those, those A's, if you will. But I want to challenge you with one more A that trumps all those. Audience. 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 To where I live my life and I try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I live my life and say, is this right? Is this good? Is it true? Is it pleasing to God? When I start living my life for an audience of one, I start living the biblical model. What did Abraham was called to a place that God would show him? Okay? I'm not even going to tell you where you're going. You're just going to follow me. He's going to literally, his audience is God. Moses, can you think about Moses when he's leading the people of Israel out? President Harry Truman asked the question that um, I wonder how many, how far Moses would have gotten had he taken a pole to get out of Egypt. You know, following a pole, the audience, the crowd, the disciples were called to follow him and to become fishers of men. Jesus even lived his life for the audience of one. The audience of one. Whenever he says, not my will, but yours be done, he teaches us to pray. He tells us, May your will be done on earth as in heaven. Who's your audience? Who are you living for? Whose applause at the end of your day are you wanting? Os Guinness said in an incredible book called The Call. 
They set a life lived listening to the, uh, uh, the decisive call of God is a life lived before an audience that trumps all others, the audience of one. We who live before an audience of one can say to the world, I have only one audience before you. I have nothing to prove, nothing to gain, nothing to lose. Just one thing, Paul said, to live my life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Just one thing, to live my life worthy of the gospel of Christ. You got just one thing. You got one, one applause that you're living for. When I make decisions based on what's right and true and good and pleasing to my heavenly Father, I'm going to get the applause that I need from the person that I really need it from. I want it from you, but I need it from him. Would you bow your heads with me? One thing. One thing only to live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Making decisions gets a lot easier when I live for an audience of one. And that audience is God. I want to start with three very important decisions in the order. Think about them. Keep your heads bowed, eyes closed. Be prayerful and figure out where you are in the decision-making process. One is have you decided to follow Jesus? Have you given your life to follow Jesus? Have you put a stake in the ground and said, Jesus, I am yours. I am following you. Second question is what's your next step of obedience? You have something that God is calling you to do right now. Is it in a relationship? Is it on the job? Is it, where is it? What is it? And what's your next step? Thirdly, who are you bringing on the journey with you? That's a decision. Because disciples, Jesus calls us to be disciples. Disciples make disciples. Who are you bringing on the journey with you? Who do you know that's not a disciple? Who do you know that's not walking with Jesus that you can go put your arm around them and say, hey, I'm going, will you go with me? Father God, thank you. Thank you that you call us to be imitators. You call us to follow you, to be like you, to do what you do and to be as you are. Father, you've called us And Father, I pray that it changes everything about us, the way we make decisions in our day, the way we live out our lives, the way we do our work, the way we do our school, the way we live, and that, Father, we would live for an audience of one. Lord, begin to bring your new wine, your your new workings out of us as as you work in us this morning. Lord, do your work here and now. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us?